welcome to mini episode 110 of real life ghost stories i have two spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from the 17th of march 2021 and story number one comes from ray i'm in my 40s married with children now and live in the pacific northwest of the usa i have one older brother about five years my senior and both of our parents are alive my family are native to the island of guam but with the exception of my brother, have moved away from the island. Guam is a small island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and is a territory of the USA. The island is very beautiful with tropical weather that makes it very warm year-round. Our people are rich in traditions, village values and steeped in legend and folklore. The kind of folklore that moms and grannies use to scare kids into behaving. When we were little, we were told about duendas, little fairy-like creatures that live by bodies of running water under brightly coloured mushrooms and carry little lights in the jungles and lure children to kidnap. They can even persuade the children they've lured to get other children. If the children are ever found, they are rendered mute and the only way to cure this affliction is to be whipped with a blessed strap or a belt, usually made of natural materials and wielded by a person of the cloth. Looking back now, as a mom, I see the usefulness of this story, as the jungles of Guam are in places very dense and the terrain very uneven. This story scares children into not venturing too far off the path, or get whipped by Father Joe. And it worked for me. I never did like going into the jungle if I could help it. I should also mention that Guam was majorly affected by Japanese occupation, which put us right smack in the theatre of World War I and World War II. Not being a history expert, I will not go into detail about Guam's role in both wars, save to say that our land and our people were devastated and greatly impacted by war. A village named Sumai was so devastated by war that its people were displaced and the village itself is gone replaced by land, beach, recreation areas and some homes built along the major roadway that now runs through it. This is where my story begins. Back in the 80s when my brother and I were little, maybe 8 and 13, we would have to accompany my parents to their bowling league nights. We went frequently, at least twice a week. These were wild times. My brother and I and all the other bowling league kids would be given money and let loose in the arcade and the little diner in the bowling alley. We would be there for hours playing with the other kids, running around playing hopscotch on the bowling alley's lino-tiled floor. It was also where I learned how to gamble. We would throw our cool-coloured rubber band bracelets against the wall to see who would get the closest to the wall and whoever won got the lot. It was great. And it was also where we met Angel and Ricky, a brother and sister that were almost the same ages as my brother and me. I think Angel was maybe a year or two older than me, and Ricky was a year younger than my brother. Angel and Ricky's parents were in the same league as our parents, but they didn't go bowling as often as our parents. Side note, I was eight at the time, and I genuinely don't remember what their parents' names were, and when I asked my mom, who's in her 70s now, she couldn't remember either. There were many nights where we would go excited to see the duo, but then be disappointed to learn that it was not their night. Our parents and theirs were very friendly, and I think one of my parents worked with one of theirs. 
so it was only natural that our relationship continued outside the bowling alley. We had Angel and Ricky over to play and had sleepovers at our house quite often, but up until this point we'd never spent any time at their home. We'd not even been there for dinner with the whole family. My mom worked very near the area of their home, and so when they'd come to visit, my mom would pick them up and drop them off. They lived in what was the area of Sumai, but is now a town called Pete, right off the main road that leads to downtown. It was understood that when my mom or dad were headed home from work downtown, they would pick the kids up and, on the weekend, we would drive them back. But because their house was far from ours and we didn't go downtown often aside from going with my parents bowling, that's what was easiest. So when my brother and I were finally invited to come and have a sleepover at theirs, we were excited out of our skins. The plan was that on bowling night my parents were going to drop us off at their house on the way downtown. The house they lived in was a ranch plantation style home where everything was on one floor and there were not a lot of walls that might prevent airflow on very warm Guam days and nights. The house had two large bedrooms, one their parents shared and one the kids shared. The bedrooms were down the hallway from the large living room and open kitchen and dining area. If you were to stand at the front door, you would be able to look straight through the house and out the sliding doors into the backyard. The house was set far back from the road with some trees and a chain-linked fence that separated the yard from a narrow sidewalk and then the main road. The front yard had trees, whose canopies were so large they'd wrap around the house and flowed all the way back to the backyard. The backyard even had a little stream that ran to the ocean and was about 25 yards away from the back of the house and down a small embankment. When we got there, the parents gathered like they do and talked what I assumed was the logistics of picking up and what to expect from the two of us and the two of them, and then my parents left. I don't think I even said goodbye. In our excitement, we kids just ran off. Angel and Ricky busied us with showing us around. Angel and I were down near the embankment when her mom called us back for dinner. The boys were both down by the water when we called them and headed back. We were sitting down for dinner when Ricky asked his parents if my brother and he could camp outside and let the girls have the bedroom. Because they shared a room, the original plan was for the boys to sleep on the living room floor, but as there were no objections, they were allowed to camp outside. The rest of the night was unremarkable. My brother and Ricky gathered their camping stuff and Angel and I got to watch a show on TV. Angel and Ricky's father helped the boys set up the gear on the side towards the front of the house and we girls just went into the room and settled in before bed. We stayed up a bit and from Angel's window you could see the light from the boys' tent so we knew we weren't the only ones up late. Eventually we were told to stop talking and go to bed and we heard the front screen door open and close and then the light from the tent went out. Smiling and giggling at the knowledge that the boys were told to go to bed too, we talked and laughed a bit before eventually falling asleep. It was not until much later that I woke up with my hand being held up in the air and Angel's dad saying loudly, almost a yell, Lay back down and go back to bed. I could hear him as if he were very close to me, but not exactly talking to me. And to be honest, I do not know if his voice woke me up, or if it was the sensation of my hand being held. As I began to wake up fully, 
I looked up and saw Angel standing, towering above me, and I realised that I was still laying down. Her dad was standing in the doorway talking with a very firm, loud voice, and Angel was standing either on the floor or on the bed, I didn't know, and I was still laying down with my back on the bed and feeling her tugging on my arm as if she were pulling me out of bed. Every time she tugged on my arm, I could feel her stop each time she walked into her dad in the doorway. All the while her dad was saying, lay down and go back to bed. His voice getting louder and louder as he repeated, lay down and go back to bed. And I can hear his breath puff out every time she pushed into him. I was fully awake now and aware of her hand on my arm. I began to pull my arm out of her hand, but I could not. She was holding on to me so tightly, I could not even squeeze out of her grip. I was finally able to wrench my arm out. Maybe because I began tugging my arm out frantically, or maybe because in my panic I began sweating and slipped out of her grip. Either way, I was able to get her off me, but as soon as I did, she whipped around and tried to grab me again. Just then her dad grabbed her from behind with a big bear hug and took her out of the room. Her mom then rushed in and started to calm me down as I was crying and backed up off the bed and pushing my weight into the wall behind me. Their mom ended up holding me as I calmed down and told me that Angel sleepwalks and that I'd be okay. After I thought it was a very long time, I eventually fell asleep sobbing and scared. Their mom stayed with me that night and when I awoke I was sleeping on her lap as she lay leaning against the head of the bed. After what was a very uneasy sleep I woke up from sleeping on Angel's mom's lap and watched the sun come up. It must have been around 6 or 7am and it was still cool from the night before. It wasn't too long after that that she felt me stir and she woke up and said You're okay sweetheart let's make breakfast. After a bit I got up and headed out to the living room to find my brother and Ricky sleeping on the living room floor and couch. Shortly after me, their mom headed out of the bedroom and said, Angel is in our room, she'll be up in a little while. To be honest, at this point, I couldn't have given two shits where she was as long as she wasn't with me. But being the polite house guest that I was, and more than anything having the fear of my parents whooping my butt for being rude, I said okay. And with that... The evening's events were not mentioned. That morning as their mom started breakfast everyone began to wake up. First the boys, then their father and eventually Angel. We all ate breakfast in silence. At least I was silent. Angel on the other hand was just as chatty as she ever was. She kept talking to me as if nothing had happened but I remembered all of it. Eventually we all finished eating and Angel and I were sent to get dressed for the day and wash up. The whole time I did my best to avoid being alone with her, but she acted as if nothing had happened, and so out of politeness I did too. When the boys were done eating, they were sent back outside to gather their gear. They had left their camping gear outside when they came into the house sometime late that night. My brother and I were told at breakfast that my mom was going to pick us up before lunch. Both he and I gathered our stuff up early and were waiting quietly in the living room area for our mom. Angel and Ricky asked us to go with them back to the stream or to play outside or in their room. But for some reason, my brother and I were in an unspoken agreement that we were going to stay in the living room to wait for our mom. 
When our mom finally got there, Angel's mom invited her into the house and sent us to put our things in the car. We had set off home with my mom driving, my brother in the front seat and I sitting behind them. When my mom said, Angel's mom told me you were scared because Angel sleepwalks. I instantly burst out crying in silent, shoulder-shaking sobs. Up until this point, I had been staring out the window, unsure of how to even bring it up or if I was imagining it. So when she broke the silence and said something, I knew it was true. And in one breath, I told her the whole story, not stopping through the tears. Just then, my brother began to cry. And my mom, shocked at her teenage boy's emotion, said, Son, what's wrong? Are you okay? Down the road a bit, we pulled over and stopped. And my mom was now fussing over both of her emotional, crying children. I'm still talking. And my mom was silently consoling my brother with one hand while her eyes and her other hand were on me. When I finished my story, my mom said something to me, but I can't remember what, and she turned to my brother and asked him why he was crying, and what had happened to make him cry. My brother said something happened to him too, but only him and Ricky saw it, and he didn't really sleep all night. That night, after Ricky's father helped the boys set up their tent, they stayed up for a while, talking and hanging out. And when we were in the bedroom and told to go to bed, Ricky's father had gone out to tell the boys to go to bed too. Shortly after they had turned off the light, they were kept awake by road noise. But it was late and there was no traffic outside. To be sure, they had checked for the road noise with a look outside the tent. Shortly after that, they heard a dog's collar jingling near the road and a man's voice calling for the dog. He said that the dog sounded like it would come close to the chain link fence and then go away and the voice sounded like it came close and then trailed off. At some point, both boys became curious and went to see who it could be so they unzipped the tent and looked outside to find nothing again. By this point, it was in the middle of the night, maybe even midnight, but the noise kept happening and the boys were up listening to the man call his dog and the jingling collar. But because they hadn't seen anything, they figured they missed it and eventually fell asleep. Some time had passed, but he woke up with the tent shaking and someone yelling something that were words but not anything he recognised. He said it was as if someone was shouting through a tube or an overhead speaker. He could hear the words, but the words were muffled. He said he could hear a fire alarm or a siren alarm going off behind the voice. When they heard it, both boys sat straight up and watched the tent shaking and listening to the sounds. They went on for what he thought were a couple of minutes. Then they went off as if someone had turned the volume down, and as soon as the noises stopped, they got up and ran into the house. They left everything in the tent and ran, swung open the screen door and into the house and slammed the door behind them. Guessing that the noise from the door slamming had woken up their father, they were met in the living room by him and he was the one that told them to sleep in the living room. My brother and Ricky settled down in the living room. My brother took the couch and Ricky grabbed a pillow off the couch and laid on the floor. They both didn't say anything to each other and my brother said after a while he just closed his eyes. He woke up again to their father saying loudly, lay down and go back to bed. But he assumed that he was talking to them and he turned around and closed his eyes again, thinking he would be in trouble if he stayed awake. That morning, when they were told to gather the gear from the yard, 
the boys had found the tent posts pulled up and the dome collapsed, but they figured it must have been from their rush to unzip and get out of the tent. When my brother had finished, my mom sat there for a bit, with a kind of a quizzical look on her face, and she just said, I'm glad you guys are okay. It's probably a little late to mention my mom is a ghost story lover too. Growing up, she would tell us all kinds of crazy stories, and as a family, we loved watching scary movies. My parents loved to throw tissues at us or drop books on the ground during a scary part of the movie just to heighten the fear factor. But this was different. My mom was genuinely concerned for us. She asked if we had gone down to the river. I told her that we girls didn't make it down there, but the boys had. With that, she gave my brother and I a look that meant, that's it, right there. I'm not sure who said it, but somebody whispered, Duendas? My mom just looked at us and shrugged. Needless to say, we never asked to spend the night there again. We never even asked for the kids to spend the night at our house. Not even after, my mom pointed out that Angel didn't sleepwalk when she stayed at our house, not even once. I did not care. That girl had a grip on me like I'd never felt before and I was not going to replay that night. As we got older, we saw the kids less and less at league nights and as my brother got older, I was allowed to stay home with him and so kids' nights at the bowling alley stopped soon afterwards. It's now more than 30 years later. My parents live in Hawaii, I live in Washington State and my brother is still in Guam. My brother, mother and I were on a FaceTime chat and we started talking about a scary TV series I was watching. My brother jokingly asked if I was going to let my seven-year-old son watch scary movies. I told him that Nightmare Before Christmas and The Haunted Mansion were the only scary movies that he was allowed to watch. My mom said, with genuine mom-to-mom advice, I let you guys watch all kinds of scary movies when you were little, and I even let you guys get scared a few times. As if on cue... My brother and I both brought up that night at Angel and Ricky's. My mom laughed it off and said, Oh, yeah, I remember that. She said that when my dad and her got to league night that night, my mom's sister, who also bowled in the league, asked her where we were. And when my mom told her, my aunt got angry with her. My aunt told my mom that that house was haunted and people hear and see things there all the time. She reminded my mom that the area was Old Sumai, and people could hear the troops landing and air raid noises coming from the beach. She told my mom to pick us up that night, but my mom ignored her. She thought it was just rumour and paranoia. Turns out it wasn't. She became a believer that day, when she picked us up and we told her our stories. I love folklore from other places and other cultures, and I don't think we've ever had a story from Guam before, and that was very exciting for me, so I was like, woo, when I saw that it was from somewhere else. Duendas is something that has been brought up before in various other stories and it's interesting to me that the lore is similar to other places around the world. So it's quite similar to like elven lore in Iceland. It's similar to that sort of southwest England fairy will-o'-the-wisp lore as well where you've got these creatures that light lights and, and lead you off into the woods. just think it's interesting that these things seem to be quite universal I like you guys know I'm I'm quite cynical and quite skeptical like I I I never judge people's ghost stories because I don't think it's fair that if somebody writes down a story that I would then go haha that's not real that's definitely fake because it just wouldn't be fair in that person 
Um, so if I if I'm really cynical about a story, I tend to keep it to myself. However, with this story, I always think that if you were ever going to have a haunting, it would be in a place where there is mass residual trauma. Like I always say, for example, I would believe that somewhere like Waverly Hills is haunted because so much terrible stuff happened there over the years. And in this place, in Sumai, you have a whole group of people that were displaced, that suffered great trauma. All these horrible things happened to this area. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of residual haunting there. The sound of sirens or the sound of soldiers landing like it, it you know it ha- it's obviously had some sort of indelible impact on the people so why would it not have an indelible impact on the land and story number two comes from maddie when i was three my parents got divorced i was so young that it didn't make much of a difference at least not compared to the upheaval my older siblings felt the biggest change i remember was the move it was summertime and we were to be moving from one suburb of Columbus, Ohio to another, one a little closer to downtown. The sellers of our new house requested to rent the place from us from May through August, so they could take the summer to move and such. My mom decided to move us into this weird old farmhouse in an area called Sunbury for the summer, so we had to move out of our old house at the end of May. My dad went to stay temporarily with a friend of his, and me, my sister, my two brothers and my mom packed up and moved to Sunbury. The house was built in the 1880s and it needed a lot of work. But since we were only there for the summer, we just sort of accepted the decrepit nature of the place and made the best of it. My siblings and I spent a lot of time playing outside in the fields beside the house. And most evenings, we would walk down to Cream Corner, the ice cream shop around the block that sold those little candy lipsticks, which I thought were rad. It was about as idyllic an American summer a few kids could have considering the circumstances. There was just one hitch. We weren't alone in that house. My mom recalls an infestation of black flies that she could just never do anything about and a general sense that there were always unseen pairs of eyes on her, always watching. She doesn't really believe in spirits either, so I've always found it odd that she admitted this type of thing. My siblings never saw any apparitions of any kind, but agree that the house had a creepy vibe. I was the only one who was frequented by the lady of the house. I was relegated to the bedroom closest to the stairs, since my mom's room was situated off of a small landing a few steps below. I guess she put me there because I was the youngest, and she thought I was more likely to need something in the night. I don't remember the first time I saw the woman in the white nightgown, but she became my constant throughout the summer. She only came at night, and most often when I was in the room alone. I didn't like her at all. She was weird, tall, rail-thin, with wavy, dirty blonde hair. She would stand stock still in the far corner of the room for hours just staring at me. At least, I think she was staring at me. I couldn't really tell because her face always appeared in one of two ways, either completely shrouded in shadow, or else my least favourite, a totally featureless face, just skin stretched over a skull. She never did or said anything, 
or made any kind of movement at all. She just stood there. I would hide my face under the covers, checking every once in a while to see if she had gone away. Sometimes she had, and sometimes she hadn't. Eventually I would grow so sleepy that I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore, so lady or not, I would pass out. One night, however, I just couldn't go to sleep, no matter how hard I tried. She was there, of course, standing sentinel or whatever it was that she was doing. Her face was option two, the skin one. I'm not sure if it's just me editorialising my own memories or something, but I feel like her energy was more chaotic when she appeared with that face or lack thereof. Whatever it was, I didn't feel safe that night. Taking my chances, I slid out of bed and dashed out of the room, trying to be as quiet as possible. I tiptoed down the steps to the landing and pushed open the door to my mom's room just to crack. The next image is forever burned into my brain. I can literally picture it so clearly as I'm writing this. The moonlight was shining through this little framed stained glass artwork that my mom placed in the window. The dark wooden vanity that she still has to this day and my mother fast asleep in her four-poster bed. One, two, three shadow figures traipsed around her in a steady, almost ritualistic circle, passing through the bed like they were made of smoke. No features, just darkness, with vague form, staticky around the edges. I watched them for a moment, ultimately deciding that this was a hell-no sort of situation, and that the lady in the white nightgown was vastly preferable to whatever the fuck was going on in there. I turned on my heel and scampered back up the stairs, passing the faceless woman as I ran to my bed and pulled the covers over my head. I spent so many years going back and forth in my head on whether or not this happened. It felt real, and I have pretty unusually vivid childhood memories, but it was so creepy to revisit that I sort of wanted it to be made up. Last summer, I stopped over to visit with my mom after work one night and we started reminiscing about my childhood and such. I brought up the house in Sunbury. We talked about the happy memories for a bit, but after a pause I asked her if she remembered anything strange about the house. That's when she told me about the feelings of being watched, of uneasiness and the black flies that just wouldn't go away. She also said, And you just wouldn't stop telling me about a lady in a white nightgown who lived in your bedroom. Oh no, why did she have no face sometimes and a face other times? The featureless face is so scary. And why was she standing there just staring or pseudo-staring? And what was the ritual around your mom's bed with those shadow people? Was that like a residual thing? Was that like a memory, like a past memory thing? I, oh that is, that is horrendous. And you could easily say, oh you were dreaming or you were sleepwalking or whatever, but this clearly happened regularly and it's obviously happened regularly enough that you told your mom and then your mom still remembers it now oh no all of that is just awful although I like the idea of going to get an ice cream every day that does sound very idyllic very what I have seen on like American TV shows and American movies growing up that idyllic childhood uh but that is that is horrendous 
Thank you to Ray and Maddie for sending in your stories. And remember, the last story came from the 17th of March 2021. If you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories, you can find out all of the information that you need on Podcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.